Neutral Podcast. This is episode 109 for the month of February 2021. And all three of your hosts are with you as usual. I'm Pete. Eric and Garrett are with me. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, not too bad. Except for the kidney stone that I'm battling, but otherwise, I'm alive. (laughs) That sucks. It really does. I don't know it from personal experience, but I know from enough people close to me that that sucks. I've had a few, but this is the first that has to be surgically removed. So I'm not really looking forward to that, but uh, I'll be happy when it's out. You're a young guy. Do you like just like eat acid? I mean, (laughs) no, I think it's a genetic thing. I had a workup with urology like quite a few years ago, and I have another one now because of this, but um, my body seems to like making them regardless of my diet or hydration. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting in a sucky way. Yeah. Uh, winter has arrived, not, not anything near as bad as that, but winter has finally arrived well, in Michigan where we've s- actually had snow and barely in the double digit weather for the last, I don't know, 10 days. It feels like. So we're going to get some of your Arctic air. It sounds like we're supposed to get over here a foot of snow this weekend And they were talking about this big Arctic air mass. It's mainly over in the northeast, but it's supposed to kind of come down and then move west and go over the top of us just as a wet storm is coming in from the west. And so this weekend, we're supposed to get quite a bit of snow over here. I mean, by our standards. Yeah. You know, we get a quarter inch of snow and the city shuts down and we're supposed to get like a foot of snow. So given given all the drought conditions, though, you guys could probably do with some snow that would stick around and then melt and go into Oh, yeah. Well, you know, right here we haven't been super dry like they have been in California. Yeah. But, you know, we can always use the water. Well, we've had the longest stretch of cold weather since I I forget what it was, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. Wow. The high today is like 13 or 14. That's as warm as it's gotten for like the last five days i took the dogs to the to their daycare this morning it was four degrees yikes <laughs> yikes yeah we don't get cold like that up farther up north they um they're a little happy because they're for the first time in a little while they're gonna be able to get the the bikes on the on the water and do some ice racing fortunately or unfortunately i don't own a dirt bike with which to put studded tires on and then go catch frostbite so yeah right <laughs> That just doesn't sound like a fun way to ride motorcycles, if you ask me. Uh, I mean, it looks fun and it all, looks but like, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. When, exactly. when, you know, like, I don't know, cold weather sports, but then, you know, you have all of these like studded tires and ice and you fall down. I don't know. It just seems, seems like a lot of like danger. And I don't know. I, I think I would rather just dirt track race, but <laughs> well, I've never really been in the dirt without hurting myself so i can only imagine how badly i could hurt myself on ice right right there's a there's a youtube guy that i watch for he's a precision rifle guy out of um south africa 
And I guess he used to ride ride motocross way back in the day, although he's only like in his mid mid thirties. So I don't know how far ago that what long ago that was. But in the last six months, he's gotten a dirt bike and started riding again. And uh, he just posted a video last week where he he crashed pretty hard. Um, I don't know if it was a practice or a race, and um, broke his wrist and had to get titanium rods put in his wrist. Yeah. yeah. Everyone I know who's ever ridden motocross biffs themselves up real bad. Yeah. Uh, um, you like almost cannot ride motocross without getting hurt. It's yeah. a virtual guarantee that you'll get hurt at some point. Yeah. Speaking of motocross, well, supercross, actually, have you guys watched any of this season so far? It's kind of weird because they don't go to a different location every week. They have like three can like, you know, three consecutive races over three weeks, but at the same location and they changed the track, right? Because of, you know, COVID restrictions and all that. But it's been a really weird season. I mean, it's entertaining. Uh, Ken Roxon is definitely um, kind of dominating right now. It looks like he's probably going to work his way towards a championship. But it's kind of neat, I guess, to be in the same spot, just change up the track a little bit. It's uh, definitely been a different season, though. Yeah, I haven't watched any of the motocross stuff, but I've been following some of the stuff for World Superbike and MotoGP, and you know, they had already postponed America's stuff for for Circuit of the Americas and down in Argentina, which and then conveniently the in Argent the Argentinian track just had a massive fire and took oh, out they? a bunch of their garages. Yeah, oh, um, no. but they've but they've already canceled the the testing that was supposed to go on Sepang. And there's a questions now with the season actually kick off in in Qatar in March. So, mm. yeah, uh, it's all it's weird. So, yeah, I think we're going to have another six, nine months of this craziness. And then I've been watching tons of Thailand, like scooter drag racing. <laughs> and because. There's this uh, person that I watch. It's, his name's Chad B, and he, it's CB Media on YouTube. Yeah, you talked about him and, in one of the one of the yeah, recent episodes. So, and so you know, he's always continually posting videos, and so lately he's been doing just a lot of a uh, drag. To, you know, it's like four stroke and two stroke scooters that are you know turned into purpose built drag racing machines, and they are so fast. And watching them is pretty impressive. There's, of course, a huge um, like street racing side of it. And then there's kind of the sanctioned professional racing side of it. One of his last videos, he kind of showed the more underground street racing stuff, which is where the money is. And mm-hmm. so a lot of these riders are, you know, sort of incentivized and very tempted to do the street racing. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why this is. When they race in sanctioned events, they wear full leathers, they wear a helmet, safety gear. But when they're street racing, it's flip-flops, shorts, t-shirt, no helmet. (laughs) And I just, I'm not sure why they wouldn't just at least wear some safety gear, but they don't. And, you know, these, some of these scooters, I mean, they're like 10 second quarter mile machines. They're like just tremendously fast. Don't a lot of times they race on the eighth or 200 yards or something? Isn't it like sand... Yeah, sometimes, but then, like, one of the latest videos I was watching, um, there is this bet between a Nissan GTR that had a thousand wheel horsepower and a 150cc two stroke 
scooter drag bike thing. And it was like a legit, like there is money bet on both sides of who was going to win. And this was a quarter mile drag race Wow! between thousand horsepower, all wheel drive GTR and a 150 CC two stroke scooter. <laughs> <laughs> and who won? <laughs> well, the GTR broke an axle in the last like testing round. Uh. So they didn't like finish the race, but like, you know, the, the Chad uh, B media guy, his money was on the scooter for the win. Interesting. And so it, I, I find it just completely fascinating. In fact, um, as like a promo thing on his Instagram page, uh, he was like raffling this trip, like an all expenses paid trip to go to Thailand with him, you know, to hang out. And I was like, man, that would just be the coolest thing to go to Thailand and watch all of these scooter races with him. I think it would just be an absolute riot. It's so impressive. I mean, there are like thousands of people that turn out for these races and it looks like such a cool party, but more impressive is the speed of these scooters. I just can't believe it. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of those videos. It's pretty entertaining. I got a phone call. Well, I got a text message and a phone call from one of my local Harley Davidson dealerships. Now keep in mind, I bought a Buell in 2005 from this dealership <clears throat> and they called me to follow up <laughs> like two days ago they called me to follow up <clears throat> i should have answered it but i just really didn't want to hear the sales pitch but this salesperson I, i'm not sure what it says about the dealership or the salesperson or harley in general maybe this is a very eager salesperson maybe the dealership is completely floundering but from 2005 to current, I've never heard anything from them. And they call me to talk to me about Harley Davidson, get you into the showroom to look at a new bike. That's funny. I thought it was. I think it was last week. There was a press release about Harley's vision, you know, in the next five years and they were, how they were, what they were doing. And they're, you know, and like, it's, it's all the, it's all the same, right? They're just putting putting new words in the same message for the last mm -hmm. 25 years. And it's mm -hmm. like, you're going to completely age out of your, not only age out, but price out of your, of your market. I mean, like how many people can afford a $45,000 CVO bagger, you know, right? right. <laughs> they, they got to hope that somehow it becomes ironic. Cool. goes from, goes from like whatever to ironic, cool to cool, you know, yeah. Yeah. in, in that, in that cycle. But that's a pretty long bet. Mm -hmm. But I guess the, the, the other side mm -hmm. of that coin is every time they try to do something different, there's so much pushback, right? right. But, but then that's what leadership is, right? Keeping a, having a vision and, and, and riding through the hard part of it. Well, yeah. from engineers that I know closely who work on Harley product components, the really cool flat track style electric bike has gone away. Mm -hmm. They don't have the R and D money to do it. They're they're floundering. Mm -hmm. In the twenty twenty one model lineup, they've canned the Roadster. Mm -hmm. They've canned the standard Softail O Rider and the Softail Deluxe. So the three bikes that I have mentioned on this podcast, Harley could tempt me with, are now all gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing that they're selling is Street Glides, Road Kings. Ultra Electroglide, 
it's all the baggers and, and full dress touring bikes. That's what they're selling. They're selling well enough, I guess, that if they want to become a little niche company that sells touring bikes to bearded beer drinkers, then okay, maybe that'll work for them, you know? (laughs) That's the, uh, the motorcycle equivalent of selling, uh, F-150s and Explorers, you know, or Suburbans (laughs) and whatever. I mean, it just. Exactly. Yeah. As a bit of a segue, on the flip side of that, I remembered the bike that I wanted to talk about last time, the 1100 Rebel. Oh, yeah. Honda's 1100 Rebel, which is not that much bigger than a 500 Rebel. It's a couple inches longer. It's a 500-pound motorcycle. And it has a, a modified version of the Africa Twin 1100 motor in it. Mm. And you can get it with the DCT, ride modes, ABS, and... Cruise control comes stock on at least the DCT version. I don't know if it comes stock on the, yeah. on the manual. I would assume it does. As one journalist pointed out a couple of years ago, it might have been, um, John Burns over at motorcycle.com. If you have fuel injection and ride by wire, there is zero reason your bike shouldn't have cruise control. Right. Cause it's right. literally just, you know, it's a just switch a switch software. Yeah. 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 They just had the press introduction and I've seen motorcyclists and a couple of other journalists saying some extremely positive things about it. It's got a 35 degree lean angle and actually handles really well for a cruiser. Hmm. Ergonomically, as long as you're under about 5'11", it's pretty comfortable. In order to get that lean angle, one of the things they did was they raised the pegs. So they're not super forward pegs. They're mid and kind of high. So if you're too tall, you're going to feel like you're sitting on a mini bike. But uh, they're coming out with a whole line of saddlebags and a batwing fairing. And everybody said, get the DCT. It works so well. You know, when it first came out, a lot of people were like, well, the downshifts are a bit jerky and it, it doesn't have good manners at walking speeds and stuff like that. They've they've got it nailed. Like so far, everybody said, yeah, just go ahead and get the DCT. It's for a cruiser. It's so nice to be able to hit drive and go and not worry about it. If it was not $10,000, which actually that seems reasonable. That seems yeah. very reasonable. It's a reasonable price. I don't have $10,000 to spend on a motorcycle. If I did. I could really see getting that over like a Moto Guzzi V9 or a Triumph Bonneville Bobber or something like that. It's goofy looking, but it not necessarily goofy looking in an ugly way. I mean, it looks like the rest of the Rebel lineup, mm-hmm. which yeah. has been around long enough. I've kind of gotten used to it, and it's kind of become its own style. They've done the, pretty much the same look three times now, yeah. and I don't dislike it. Yeah, pretty impressive. The thing makes 72 foot-pounds of torque, which is quite a lot of torque. Yeah. Uh, And Ride Apart claims that that is um, just shy of Harley's Iron 1200 and exceeds the Indian Scout 60 and and power. And the thing ready to ride is 487 pounds, which is about... That is just slightly heavier than like a super sport naked. Well, bike. to give you an idea, the Suzuki GSX 250R, which admittedly is really a chonker for a 250, the ABS version is like 499 pounds wet. Yeah, yeah. This is not a big heavy motorcycle. 
it is legitimately fast. And as long as you have smooth roads can really hustle. Mm -hmm. It handles bumps up to a particular size fairly well. And then it kind of hammers your spine, but a lot better suspension components than a lot of cruisers have come with. This would be a stretch for Honda to do, but that as a flat track style bike, right? If they could keep that, they, well, cause they could, there would be, it would be a better Indian FTR than the Indian FTR. Really? I, yeah, I agree. Like that engine is probably very well suited for flat track. It's a low RPM, big grunt motor with a lot of torque. And I think it would be really well suited to flat track riding. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about how much torque it has, have all that torque and then have a really nice automatic transmission that you always are yeah. in the right gear for the torque. Yeah. Again, visually not my favorite. It's kind of a strange looking motorcycle. I don't know what to yeah. but it's it's not bad strange. And when I was riding it, I wouldn't have to look at it. So Yeah. <laughs> Only a three point six gallon fuel tank, so it's probably not gonna be a good long distance cruiser, but No. None of those bikes really are though. That's true. And then uh I saw it today. That uh, Indian announced or Indian was celebrating it's the hundredth anniversary of the chief. Oh, oh, is that right? I think that was on motorcycle.com and they released a bunch of special editions. Um, a different motorcycle that was built by a different company with yeah. the same name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So there's a bunch of different versions of it for 2022. And the Hayabusa is back. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say I'm highly disappointed in that bike? You can say that. They only did what they needed to to get it to be Euro five. Yep. And refresh the bodywork. Yeah, exactly. It's I, it's everything we've come to expect from Suzuki. It's the same Is that such a mo- bad thing with the Hayabusa though? Yes and no. I mean no in the sense of it's a formula that they have that works and it costs them nothing. Like literally the they probably are using all this or most of the same tooling so that bikes, I'm not saying all profit because it costs money to, to build that. Right. And the tooling costs money because you've got to replace it as it wears out. But there was, there had to be very little R and D work into that. But so, yeah. so I understand why they're doing it in, in an industry that's hurting in a segment that's kind of disappeared. You don't want to spend a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Hayabusa, when it was released was such a, I don't want to call it a revolutionary bike, but it was so far out there compared to what everything else was. It was sort of a halo bike for them, at least from a sport touring slash sport bike kind of point of view. They had an opportunity to move that goalpost even further, and they just punted. Well, I didn't think they punted it. I, from what I understood, they had to do a lot of work. And oh, yeah. To, to, for, for Euro 5, I get that. In order yeah. to get it to Euro 5. So the fact that they got it through Euro 5 without really crippling the performance is pretty admirable. And they didn't do it by punching it out to an 1800, which is what I, most people do. I figured it would be at least 1500 cc naturally aspirated if they were going to do that. Where I think they had an opportunity to do something cool was to do a 900 or 1000 cc and then put the rumored supercharger or turbocharger on it and and do something there just yeah just to do something I, different I, I think they're kind of where 
AMC was in the 70s and Studebaker Packard was at the end of the 50s. They just don't have the money for new product. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at this, if you look at the new Katana, they're a 70s band that's putting out greatest hits live albums. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to come out with all new bikes. I'm just wondering what they're going, how the, how they're, especially with last year, 2020 and the success in MotoGP, how does that spin or how are they going to spin that off into something production to capitalize off of that? Well, I think on the, the one thing that they don't have in common with AMC and Studebaker is the pile of parts that they're starting with is pretty good. Yeah. It's still pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I could put a Katana and a Hayabusa in my garage, yeah, definitely. I mean, that'd be really cool. Those are legendary motors, both of them. And they've freshened them up. And admittedly, the Hayabusa has some really nice electronics on it. Uh, you know, they've really stepped it up as far as the engine management and the rider aids and stuff like that. But it doesn't have a TFT screen or it doesn't have a big one. It doesn't have TFT gauges. It's still steam gauges. Like that I don't mind. Yeah. No, I don't either, but it's just an indication of they're trying to give you the best bang for the buck and not so much purchase buck, but R&D buck. I don't disagree with you, but I still was, I guess I'm disappointed because I ho was hoping for so much more or at least something. Yeah. Something different. Well, they hyped it up so much. Oh, yeah. new generation. We're, we're going to knock this one out of the park. This is not so clearly dominating a market segment the way the Hayabusa did originally. Yeah, because the ZX-11 was the bad boy of the time, if I remember right. And then that thing came And the out. Blackbird. And, and which, oh, the Honda Blackbird. Yeah, Thank the Blackbird. Because they named it Hayabusa because Peregrine Falcons can knock Blackbirds out of the sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you happen to watch football on Sunday? I watched the second half. Did you catch the Jeep commercial with Bruce Springsteen? Yes, I did. I didn't. Did you did you catch the fact that the advertising agency that was based in Michigan forgot to put the UP on the map? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. It's quite the controversy in Detroit uh -huh. since, since that aired. Well, anyways, it was but yes, it was dab. filmed at the Geographic Center of the United States monument outside Lebanon, Kansas, where Smack Dab starts. Uh, before the Super Bowl, somebody emailed me in the morning and said, Hey, have you seen this? Uh, I'm not on Facebook, but you might want to put this on the smack dab Facebook group within 24 hours. It had been shared by so many people who had done the ride 1000 views on our Facebook group that has 500 members. Mm. So, uh, several people have either posted on there or emailed me or registered and said, I would have never known about the smack dab ride if it hadn't been for this commercial. Somebody shared it with somebody that shared it with me, and it led back to your group. Fingers crossed that means good things for this year's ride. Well, we've already got, I think, 52, 53 people registered awesome. in February. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your biggest turnout so far on that ride? I think just under 100, just over 100. I forget. Okay. It was My comment was, my God, Bruce Springsteen got old. 
then I realized, yeah, so have you. <laughs> like, I remember when, when, when you can remember the Nebraska coming out. I mean, granted, I was probably in about eighth or ninth grade when it did. So he's got to be, what, his mid-70s? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I just looked it up. Smack dab 2018. We had 99 people start and 94 confirmed f- finishers. So Cool. We had 50, 52 or 53 people do it last year. Which is really quite good, all things considered. Considering, yeah. yeah. But last year, so many people were like, I have to get out of the house. This is something I can do all by myself out on a, yeah. a empty highway far away from people. So I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. The big question last year was whether the towns were going to let us come into their town when they were still in partial lockdown, but it all worked. Are you planning on doing it this year? Yes, my wife and I are going to do it again this year. I'm not sure how many more times I'm going to do it, but last in the past year, we have gotten out on our spiders so little and have not done any overnight trips that we were like, you know what, we're getting out. And it may be going up and just coming back I-35 back to Kansas City and not doing much in this way of sightseeing or side trips, but... By gum, we're going to get out and spend some time on our bikes. I was, I was going to ask if you were going to do like the northern loop back home through the Badlands or something like we that. We did that two years ago. Uh, okay. Yeah, we went and we saw Devil's Tower in Wyoming and mm-hmm. the Black Hills and Mount Rushmore and Needles Highway and all that, which was very cool. We very much enjoyed it. But that's two days away, two yeah. full days of riding from home. And the next day, after seeing all that, we drove as far as, I think, Grand Island, Nebraska. And the last day, it was so hot, and we were in central Kansas coming home. And I think we got about as far as Topeka, Kansas, and we stopped to get our last tank of gas. And that was our seventh day. And Sarah said this was a perfect six-day trip. Unfortunately, <laughs> we are in the seventh day of the perfect six-day trip. We were just we were just so ready to get home that last day. So, yeah, I you're mentioning all these places that I've been to, but I was it was in 1976, and I haven't been back since. So I have a need to go back and see these places. So, one of my old army buddies lives uh, on the east side of Lake Michigan, right where the is it the Badger ferry that goes across? Yep. And uh, yep. I was talking about going to see him going across Minnesota, Wisconsin, taking the ferry across the lake and then coming back either on the ferry again or around the bottom part of the lake. And I was like, oh, I could go by and see Eric. And then I realized I was talking about like, you know, a, a, a 10 or 12 day trip to do all that. And I was like, yeah, we're we're just going to turn around and come home. <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on the flip side from – um Wow, why can't I think of the name of the town where the badger goes out of? Uh, not, it's not Muskegon. It's Ludington. Yes. I kept thinking Muskegon, but I knew it wasn't Muskegon. It's Ludington. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, just right. outside Ludington is where my old roommate from Fort Lewis, Washington, when I was in the Army, currently has a family and a cabin up at the lake. So. It's, the, uh, it's a beautiful part of the state. I will say that. Anyways, it's that's about two and a half hours to get to me, so... So not okay. horrible, but and there's a whole thing in Michigan, Michigan, Illinois, where you do the the loop of the lakes. If you start at the southern end of Michigan in the southeast, southmost southeast corner, you hit Lake Erie and then you hit Huron, Superior, and then obviously Lake Michigan. So you hit four of the five Great Lakes. Yeah. 
back when I taught school, one of my co-teachers, uh, she and her partner had a uh, cabin in the Door County Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Everything I saw of that on the Wisconsin side looked so pretty. I was like, yeah, I, I want to get there too. So evidently that's a really popular spot for bicycle tours. A lot of people yeah. tour that part of the state on bikes, pedal bikes. Well, Garrett has just posted a Craigslist ad in our Skype chat. And last mm-hmm. episode, you talked about wanting to buy a Nighthawk 750. Is this? Well, this is the one that I talked about. Aha. Uh-huh. And it's still for sale. So this is a 2002 Honda Nighthawk 750. It's got 26,000 miles on it. And they say that the bike was running, but starter clutch went out. Uh, it doesn't really have much other information on it. It does have a salvage title from a theft recovery. The pictures, the bike looks pretty clean, really. They're asking $1,250 for this. Now, in theory, the bike should still start with a bump start. And so if it does indeed run and shift and ride the way that it's supposed to, minus a starter clutch... Uh, this is kind of tempting to me. I'm like, I, I was like kind of loosely considering it, but then I was just browsing Craigslist earlier today and here it is again. So the bike is still there asking 1250 and they've, you know, apparently had it for about a month or more now. I'm like pretty tempted to go look at it. If you bring a thousand, a thousand dollars in cash and say, here right. you go. Right. If it actually starts and rides, I mean, a starter clutch is uh, no big deal. Hell, I've made a starter clutch for a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm sure a Nighthawk 750 starter clutch is easier to get than yeah. one for a TX 750. I'm sure parts are available. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So that's pretty tempting. I might have to reach out to them today. Just just out of curiosity, if you have your guys. Craigslist for say cars and motorcycles has it really gone in the tank in the last year where I think they started charging for ads for some things and then well, they charge just, five dollars to post now yeah automobiles. I, I don't think they do motorcycles do they uh I don't remember maybe and then, and then with Facebook's desktop redesign their marketplace for trying to find cars and motorcycles it used to be pretty decent, and now it's it's a dumpster fire. Yeah, that yeah. whole that that whole new interface is on desktop is such garbage. It's and even on on mobile, it's hard to find stuff. I actually like that they're charging money for the Craigslist ads because yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like it weeds some of the like you know garbage. tire shakers out and stuff like that, and people that are like you know they'll post it but aren't actually interested in selling okay. it. Well, I was they're gonna just, say were the dealerships who post the same thing nineteen yes. different times. Yes. Yeah. It, um. And, and what I don't like on both of them is the number of people posting the I buy classic bikes and they list like 38 different brand names mm-hmm. so that no matter what you search for, it pops up of, you know, top dollar for your used motorcycle. I buy rare and exotic motorcycle. It's like, just go away. At least in Craigslist, you can check the box that says, you know, name must be in title or something like that. Yeah. So if they put it in the or, text, it doesn't show up. Yeah. Or you can search for just a model and then it like filters out everything that has the keyword in it. And, you know, because you can only select one model for an ad. 
So if somebody posts a Nighthawk, for instance, and all you want to look at is Nighthawks, you just put in the model for the search and then you only get Nighthawks and not all the, you know, tags that people put in. Um, but yeah, Facebook, I've never like Facebook has always just kind of been not a dumpster fire, but uh, I feel like the quality of posts is really low. And it's kind of like how on Craigslist before it's, you know, people it's almost like a waste of time. It's hard to actually find somebody that's yeah committed to selling something and is ready to sell something. And I've never really liked Facebook Marketplace for that reason. And for some reason, they must make it really, really hard to put the price and the description that you want to. Right. For some reason, half the Hondas in my area are all listed as a TRX 400 ATV. It's like that must be the first thing that pops up on a list of models or something, and people don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so much work to spend my money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish it was a lot easier to spend my money. I bought a engine for my Trail 70 project. One of those four valve engines? No, it's a, you know, just like a replica, uh, 70cc Honda engine. But because I was talking, um, last podcast, I, I have two trail seventies and I have my Sapphire blue 1970 and I don't have an engine for that. At least I don't have an engine that I want to put in it. I could find an original Honda 70 engine, but then it's, you know, points and I don't really want points ignition. I'd rather have something a little bit more modern. And so I figured, you know, for the money, I'd just be better off buying a Chinese, uh, you know, replica horizontal motor. But I didn't want, like, the 125cc engines are dimensionally quite a lot larger. The head is larger. The cylinder is larger. There are manual transmissions, so the side covers are bigger. Um, they bolt in. That's not a problem. Um, but I just wanted something that looked more original. There are plenty of 70cc Chinese replica engines that would work, but so many of them are out of stock. I'm guessing because of COVID and manufacturing and whatever else. But I, you know, finally found a place that was selling a 90cc. Then the 90ccs are dimensionally the same size as the 70. It's just a you know bigger bore, but same size cast cylinder. Um, but it's just a Cast aluminum silver head, a black cylinder, you know, aluminum colored engine cases. It just it looks a lot like an original 70 Honda engine. Not right. Right. I, I, not identical, but I don't really care that it's that close. So I, I bought one. It was four hundred dollars shipped. And that included, you know, the wiring harness, CDI engine, carburetor, you know, basically all of it probably about as much as it would have cost to get a Honda 70 engine and rebuild it. But now I have electronic ignition sure. and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't have to do the work. Well, the reason I said four valve is did you, when you sent me the link to the webpage, did you see the headline for it? Uh-uh. 90 CC four valve kickstart manual. I think they meant four oh. speed. <laughs> Or, yeah, four speed. Like, and it's not a manual transmission. I don't know where the manual like well, comes from. I don't into know where the four or... valve comes from. Yeah, I, I, at first, I was like, did you yeah. find a 90cc four valve? That's got to be cooler Man, than I, heck. I, I, <laughs> I found a four valve, like a horizontal four valve for 400 bucks. So, yeah, I'd buy it. Um, no, it's a two valve. 
um, 90cc semi-auto kickstart. Just, uh, you know, kind of a basic, yeah, four valve. I didn't even see that. I got one of those so I can get my, my Sapphire Blue 70 up on the road. So finally tackled that hurdle. Anything else going on in your workshop? No, I had promised to get a video of that KX running, but I with this kidney stone and everything, I just haven't even made it over to the shop. So I've been pretty much lying on the couch for the last week and a half doing nothing. Understandable. Did you get your chain resolved? Last time we talked to you, yes. you were gonna you were gonna yeah. put a five thirty chain on it or a five twenty. Yeah, so a five twenty. So I was able to find a or actually not me, a friend of mine was able to find a 50 series front sprocket that goes on like a mini bike jack shaft. And that 50 series is the same kind of chain dimensions as the 520 right. chain. So it allows me to use the 520 chain. That's kind of the, the key to making all of it work. The 420 chain just like broke instantly when we hit, you know, it's full 10 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but the parts are there, so it just actually pretty much needs to be assembled. My leftover spare parts bike, the the SST, I was originally thinking, hey, for 500 bucks, I could get something like what you've got and have a really cool little, if I wanted, electric start. Uh, but the way this is constructed, I'd have to do major changes to the frame. I'm really kind of growing more uh, attracted to the idea of an 80cc water-cooled motocross engine for it yeah and if i get a little 80 it'll fit in there with no problem and i'll have plenty of room for a radiator on the down you know just weld some tabs onto the down tubes for a radiator so i've been playing with this idea of what to do just today i got emailed uh that a guy with a 98 yz80 engine complete running new top end no damage, $500 plus shipping, like $535. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That would be great. Unfortunately, I can't buy it because I spent my money. <laughs> I was looking at wheels and tire combinations, and I think I mentioned last time that I was thinking about using two front wheels from a Yamaha 1200 Venture mm -hmm. because they're cheap as dirt. Pinwall Cycle Parts, which is one of the big vendors on eBay, they have like half a dozen of them for sale at any given time. I was like, yeah, but I I got other things. I got to rebuild a Bultaco motor. I'm not going to spend any money here. So I was waiting on it. Well, I was also doing some research. I want to make sure that I've got a 120-90-18 tire that you know can be fitted front or rear. And sure enough, uh, Duro makes a, a nice looking, you know, fairly not great, but not junk tire mm -hmm. in the size I need. That's universal fit front or rear. And I was like, great. So I was looking on Amazon and I thought, oh, I want to save that. So I thought I had put it in the save for later. I had accidentally put it in my shopping cart <laughs> like a week later. My wife came in and said, hey, our little sweater shaver, uh, I can't make it run. I, I looked at it. I was like, oh, yeah, the, the bearings in the little electric motor are shot. I'll get you another one. So I spent like fourteen ninety five, and it said order now. So I swiped, <laughs> not realizing I was buying 
$164 worth of motorcycle tires at the same time. And I went to cancel. You're committed now. And I went to cancel. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's not an Amazon purchase. It's one of the Amazon oh, oh, oh. partners through their marketplace. Yeah, you can contact them at this email and request a cancellation. And I was like, oh, no. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and let the tires come. So I went out to eBay to Pinwall Motorcycle Parts. Found a couple of nice front wheels, ordered them. Mm-hmm. The tires, $82 a piece. The mm. wheels, $33 a piece. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, like two and a half times as much for the tire as it is for the wheel. But, uh, so I, yes, I have wheels on the way, but unfortunately I now have spent enough money on the wheels that I, I'm going to let this, uh, special offer on the, on the YZ80 motor pass because 80cc motocross engines are not exactly rare. It's not like this right. is such a killer deal that I can't find one later on. Right. Mm-hmm. But at least I will then be able to roll my other bike around the shop rather than picking up and moving it every time. So yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I am kind of playing musical chairs with front ends because I had, Boltakenstein's front end finished. But I realized, and I think I told you guys about this, I realized after I got it all together and was working on the front end for the Aramaki that in doing some measurements, the bottom of the steering stem is tapered more than I thought it was. And where I had it machined down, I think it's a little thin. Mm -hmm. Right. It's probably not a big deal. But it makes me a little nervous, especially because I have a spacer underneath there. When I was dealing with the Aramaki, I discovered that a GS500 front end would fit perfectly. But I already have this GS750 front end. So anyways, long story short, I bought an extra GL650L cruiser front stem and bottom triple clamp assembly. And I bought a spare for a GS500, got out my grinder on both of them, ground the weld off the bottom where the stem is welded into the bottom of the triple clamp and swapped them. And sure enough, they are exactly the same diameter. So I can have it welded to my other lower steering clamp and basically build a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Then... The other one that's turned down will fit on the SST, which is all my cast-offs. All the parts that didn't fit on Boltakenstein are going on this. And I'm a little more comfortable putting that steering stem on that one because I don't think this is ever going to get used for anything. I'm never going to try and ride it on the street, license it. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, very cool. And I did uh, I finished my seat. I know I sent you guys a, a picture of it on the on our Slack chat. The three of us have. Oh yeah, that looked really good. It, you uh, should give us an update on yours on the sewing machine we, you ordered from the last show. Oh yeah. Uh, in in looking at some YouTube videos and some forum posts and stuff, some people get them and they need a lot of tweaking. Mine pretty much worked out of the box. I didn't have some of them have like really bad flashing around where the bobbin goes in the bottom bobbin will stick until you take a grinder and smooth it off and uh, things like that. Mine pretty much worked. I had to rig up a different 
thread spool. It, it's got a really rinky-dink thing, so I did that differently. And you have to put some kind of a base for it. Well, the little tripod bases are junk. So you have to make some kind of a bench mount or base for it. Well, I happen to have a, a really thick piece of 90-degree uh, angle iron. So I drilled a couple holes in it, and I just clamped it in the vise. So it was attached to my vise so that... When I'm not using it, it goes right back in the box. The bobbin tension and and the tensioner for the top thread are not exactly a precision calibration. You kind of got to just, you know, bend stuff and move stuff until it's right. But then when it's right, it's it kind of seemed to stay right. It was a little difficult to sew perfectly straight lines. I had to go really slow. Mm -hmm. And part of it is you're cranking with one hand, so you can only hold it with the other hand. Mm -hmm. There was definitely a learning curve there. Mm -hmm. But for the first time out, I, I thought my seat cover turned out pretty good. I mean, it looks homemade. I mean, it doesn't look like it's professional, but it doesn't look ugly, crappy homemade. It just looks like mm -hmm. the whole bike looks homemade. So it's it, it suits <laughs> the bike, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I was happy with it and it actually stitches really well. I, I backstitched the ends and double stitched it, uh, on some of the real crucial points. I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I wouldn't hesitate to do it again. And quite honestly, I can see with the right equipment, if you had a really nice, sophisticated electric sewing machine that could do upholstery work, I could see where it could be really addictive because you can make some really cool stuff. And mm -hmm. and be really imaginative. Once you kind of get the feel for it, I could see the attraction of just doing motorcycle seats as a side. But you'd have to have something better than this just because it's so slow. And there's things like you can't change the stitch length on this and things like that that you'd really want to do if you were doing it professionally. Mm -hmm. But for 105 or $109, whatever it was, I, I was really happy. I would recommend if you want to, try your hand at making a seat. Mm -hmm. Go get some marine vinyl and some heavy-duty thread and one of these machines and go to town. Because once you have it, there's very little expense in trying it as many times as you need to to get it right. So, Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Um, before I forget, I was I meant to mention this last time, but and he's been putting up a lot of stuff again lately. Um as we talk about a lot about fabrication, if you want to watch some sort of drool worthy stuff, semi drool worthy stuff, um, give on Instagram, give one speed a follow. It's Trevor Daly. He's a Canadian superbike racer. He's also a, a fabricator by trade. And it's not so much the photos he posts, but the stories he posts as he's machining stuff, um, you know, with on his lathe and welding and just all the stuff that he, he just, builds and fabricates and stuff like this and you'd you'll sit there and watch some of the stuff and you go like oh what you know he's been doing it for 20 years so that's why he's so good at it but uh yeah he's um wanted to give trevor a shout because he's he's a good dude what's the name of it again one speed oh oh so one spelled out o-n-e-s-p i'm sorry o-n-e-s-p-e-e-d-i-n-c one speed inc Okay. My, my bad. I just had to go back over to his page real quick. I just, just followed. Yep. Speaking of YouTube, Mike Festiva, the guy that did the original Predator bike that we all 
that you mm-hmm. know got your friend all excited and we've all mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. he is currently taking a Polaris six by six ATV and using the the running gear to make a mini uh Pinsgauer replica. He's building a cab for the front of it. And uh he's really interesting because he has he's like a, uh, a CNC plasma cutter, you know, plasma table, and he's mm-hmm. got really nice welding equipment, everything, but he's still definitely a homebrew home shop mechanic. And if if you haven't checked out any of his stuff on this Pinsgauer, it it's interesting. He just bought himself a bead roller and having just mm-hmm. bought my little bead roller I was interested that he's like I never thought I'd want one of these but now that I have one I'm bead rolling everything <laughs> <laughs> Yep new toy got to use it all the time Oh I I wasn't wanted to talk about have you guys seen any of uh, the Marble Machine guy Winter Gotten W I N T E R G A T A N it's it's German he built a musical machine that was like a combination bass guitar drum set and uh vibraphone that used marbles that were programmed like a player piano to play a song. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of rinky dink and he really was coming from a musician background, but a very creative, innovative musician that built a lot of his own instruments and stuff. Well, he, he wanted to build one that was rugged enough to go on a world tour. So I don't know how many, it's got to be five, six years ago. He started building Marble Machine X and he is still building Marble Machine X. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's really interesting. My older sister has a huge crush on him because he is that perfect Renaissance man of artist, dreamer, problem solver, engineer, uh, CAD guy. He's been talking a lot lately about all of the the priorities that you try to juggle when you're working on it. And anyways, it I find it fascinating from a fabrication standpoint about trying to balance what you want it to look like, how you want it to work, what you can construct, what you can't. He's going back and looking how he did things years ago and going, oh, wow, I didn't know enough to know how to do that right. So I'm going to redo this and I need to go back and come up with a better way to do what I did but you've already kind of built in some design constraints from the way you've already set things up and constructed it. It going through a lot of the same issues on a much smaller and less ambitious scale with building a bike out of junk. Every single time I watch any of his stuff, especially winter gotten two, which is like his daily, uh, here's what I was working on today stuff. Every time I watch it, I end up reflecting on my work that I do in my workshop when I'm trying to devise a design solution. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. I think most people who are listening to this who are into this probably already know them. The other one is Binky, the Toyota turbo-powered Mini from Bad Obsessions Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Uh they finally released the first Binky YouTube episode in six months and it got painted and it's absolutely amazing. The work that went in, they hired a professional painter, obviously, but it, it's just spectacular. Mm-hmm. So I'm eager to see that done. But both of those two, every time I watch them, I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm like the mini kindergarten version of what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, I watch that and I go like, yeah. time, ambition, space. Money. Yeah, the, the <laughs> amount of time invested in that, like, it gives me anxiety thinking about, like, how much time <laughs> a person has to have invested into a machine like that. Well, the the flip side is I don't have a kajillion patreon subscribers right yeah so that i can do this as a full-time job anyways well gentlemen i gotta get the the hounds taken care of and then i'm curling later tonight so fun well there's a wintertime michigan thing to do it's fun are you a good curler i don't know i'm just starting ah (laughs) but it's something to do in the winters to keep moving and busy and turns out uh quite good exercise because according to the apple watch uh my apple watch which curling is an activity it's like a thousand to eleven hundred calories and almost two hours of an average heartbeat of 135 to 140 beats a minute so good good yeah Well, I'm going to go lay on the couch and nurse my kidney stone. <laughs> Very good. Hey, good luck tomorrow. Good luck tomorrow yeah, with definitely. that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Seriously. I'll, I'll update you guys. And uh, hopefully for next month's episode, I might have a nothing earth shattering, but just a cool announcement of uh, an announcing gig. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. I'm waiting to hear. Oh, cool. Well, we'll see you all next month. Thanks, guys. And uh, listeners, we'll be back in a month. See you then. Right. See ya.